Romans 5, 12 to 21. The first part, 12 to 14, death from Adam to Moses. Let's read. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's offense, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. But where, transgression, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful for the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that we have grace, we have life, justification, redemption, righteousness, forgiveness of sins, all that we need for our souls, for our eternal souls. Thank you for his work that has overcome what Adam has done to bring us into this plight, into this dilemma, into this impossible circumstance that we cannot save ourselves. We are completely dependent on the work of Christ to save us. Thank you for revealing this truth to us, for quickening our dead hearts, opening our blind eyes, unstopping our deaf ears. Thank you, Lord, for this circumcision of the soul, circumcision of the heart that you have accomplished in each of us. We ask, Lord, that we'll grow in true knowledge, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we'll live a life pleasing to him because he died and rose again on our behalf. Grant us, Lord, that we might pursue righteousness, truth, holiness, the desire to please God and not men and not our flesh. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. In Romans 5, at the beginning of the chapter, in verses 1 to 11, he has reminded us of what we should be joyful in understanding 
what God has accomplished on our behalf. Essentially, he has accomplished reconciliation between us and him. But then that raises the question, well, how were we first alienated from him? How were we first made hostile to God? And this is the answer of Romans 5, 12 to 21. We were first made hostile. We were first made sinners. We were first made enemies. We were first alienated from God. We were first opposed to him from the beginning of the world in the first man, Adam. That's when it first began. Not at a later date, but in Adam, that's when it happened. So if it happened in Adam, that means that all of Adam's descendants, which includes all of us throughout history, all of us are descendants of Adam, Adam and Eve, and then through Noah and his sons. All of us are descendants coming from Adam and Eve. Now, if that's the case, what did Adam experience what did Adam bring about into the world and how are we impacted by what he did? We all are in Adam naturally and spiritually unless we are converted and become in Christ. All of us are in Adam. That means we are sinners. We are alienated. We are enemies of God. We're all in Adam in that way. Death reigns in us. Sin reigns in us. Death is the consequence or the penalty of our sin. This all is true of every one of us without exception. Young and old, male and female, from one nation or another, from one language or another, it's all of us. Even infants are in this category. Even infants are in this category. And the apostles' argument here in verses 12 to 21 has to do specifically with original sin also called inherited sin. Not actual sin, not actual and practical sin, that is, what each person does day to day. He's not addressing that topic in this section. His concern in this section is original sin, Adam's sin and its consequences to all of us. That's his concern in this section. Romans 5, 12 to 21. In the scripture, this is perhaps the central and most lengthy discussion of this teaching, of this doctrine, of this theology of original sin, this passage. It certainly is scattered here and there throughout all of Scripture. It's not unique to this chapter. There are many, many other Scriptures, and we'll see a few of them in this study and the next study, where there are plenty of cross-references that support this very doctrine. This is necessary to point out because some think that it's just this passage and if you would just understand this one passage, you don't have to believe in original sin. You don't have to believe in personal or inherited sin coming from Adam. You don't need to believe in that. It's not in the Bible. Many interpreters come to the Bible and want to dismiss or discount or redefine, misdefine, pervert the true meaning of the doctrine of original sin as founded in a passage like this one. That cannot happen. We have to understand it correctly. So to understand it correctly, let's carefully go line by line. Verse 12. Therefore, 
Just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The therefore is connecting us to the previous passage which highlighted our reconciliation, all of the good things we experience in Christ, our reconciliation, our peace with God. But it's also necessary to explain why we were in that condition. How did we first become in that condition? So in verse 12, he says, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Who is this one man? This one man is mentioned by name in verse 14. He is called Adam. Everyone knows about Adam and Eve from the book of Genesis, chapters 2, 3, and 4, and 5. From chapters 2 to 5 in the book of Genesis, Adam is named. We all know he was the first man created by God. He was the first man. So it's clear who we're talking about. We're talking about Adam. Later in verse 14, he's going to make reference, an allusion to Christ, a type of him. If you use the New American Standard Bible, the H of him, of him in verse 14, type of him, is capitalized, and that is to show that we're talking about either the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. When we read the passage from 15 to 21, we know the apostle means Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the hymn of verse 14, which he will expound from verses 15 to 21. Before we reach that fuller comparison, it's necessary to establish this fact. And the fact is in verse 12. What happened through the one man, Adam? Sin entered into the world. Sin entered into the world which means sin was not in the world before Adam sinned. Now, that might sound simplistic. It might sound too obvious to be stated, but many don't believe that. Many don't believe that's when sin entered into the world. Sin entered into the world by Adam's sin, his first sin. That's what brought sin into the world. But not only did sin enter into the world because of Adam's first transgression, his original sin, it also says in 12, death through sin. Death through sin. Death is the consequence of sin. Death is the penalty of sin. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no sin. There is no death in the world. Everything is good. Everything is guiltless. Everything is innocent. There is no shame in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But then once Adam sins in Genesis 3, then we have sin in the world for the first time. We have have shame in the world because Adam and Eve hid themselves for they were afraid when God approached them. We also see that death entered into the world in Genesis 3, 17 to 19. God actually forewarned them earlier in chapter 2 
But then in Genesis 3, 17 to 19, he actually pronounces the fact that they came from dust and to dust they shall return because of sin. That's what the apostle says here, death through sin. If there were no sin, there would be no penalty for sin, which is death. Death is the consequence of sin. Now, when we understand this fact, we have to understand that death is both physical and spiritual death. The death that he means here, and even in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, the death that is meant is physical and spiritual death. It's not only physical death, and it's not only spiritual death. It is both physical and spiritual. There are interpreters who say it was only physical death, and others who will say, no, it was only spiritual death. Both are wrong. It was both physical and spiritual. The spiritual part is manifested quite obviously in their alienation from God because once they sinned and their eyes were open and they knew they were naked, they wanted nothing to do with the presence of God. They didn't want to be in His presence. And God then excluded them from the Garden of Eden by the end of Genesis 3. These are just a couple of examples of the spiritual alienation or spiritual animosity that Adam and Eve had with God. So there was a spiritual death or separation that occurred in Genesis 3. But there was also the physical, as we mentioned earlier. Chapter 3, 17 to 19, they died physically, or the prediction that they would die physically occurred. And by the time we reach chapter 5, it does mention that Adam, Seth, and Osh, all of them in Genesis 5, except for Noah, who will die later in chapter 9, that they all died. They all died. Adam died. He died physically, eventually, 930 years later in his case. But he died immediately, spiritually. There was immediate spiritual alienation or death, but then eventual physical alienation or death. This is the pattern in the Bible. That's the apostles' meaning here, death through sin. Now, one implication, there are many implications, but one of the modern controversies and implications from this verse on that controversy has to do with the religion of evolution. Not the science of evolution, but the religion of evolution. Evolution claims to be a science, and in accordance with science, but it's actually contrary to science and contrary to the Bible. So we call it a religion because there's no scientific basis. Now, the religion of evolution teaches that death was in the world before Adam sinned, if they claim to be Christians and assert that they believe in the existence of Adam. They say there was death in the world Before Adam sinned, there was chaos, misery, mayhem. There was torment, torture. One animal, animal of prey, was feasting upon uh, a domestic animal, animal that had less strength, like lions would devour sheep and so forth. These kinds of things happened for hundreds of thousands of years and even millions of years. 
totaling 4.5 billion years of cancer, death, misery, torture among animals and pre-Adamic creatures who were half human and half ape, ape men. That this was happening for hundreds of thousands, millions of years, hundreds of millions of years, and even 4.5 billion years. Well, this verse, along with much in Scripture, militates against it. Death occurred only after Adam's sin. And Adam's sin also had consequences, delirious consequences, for creation, which Romans 8, 18 to 25 explains. Not only did Adam's sin harm himself and harm his posterity, all of his descendants, and even the animals, because there was no death of an animal until Adam sinned. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. There was no death of an animal until Adam sinned. But also the rest of creation, thorns and thistles. Genesis 3, 17 to 19. When did thorns and thistles arise, grow from the ground? Only after Adam sinned. Which Romans 8, 18 to 25 explains. We'll read the first part of it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. <coughs> this is our hope, which he explains in verses 24 to 25, that we will one day be completely redeemed. What did he say? He personifies creation as though creation is moaning and groaning like a woman about to give birth to a child. He personifies creation. Creation does not have a soul or personhood, but he's illustrating it's as though creation is that way when we have upheavals in creation. Thorns, thistles, tornadoes, blizzards, earthquakes, when these kinds of things happen, this is cre creation in upheaval. Well, how did that all start? According to Romans 8. Even that never existed before Adam's first sin. None of those things existed before that. Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12. And so, death spread to all men because all sinned. Death spread to all men because all sin. Once the first sin entered the world and death because of sin, death spread to all men. We must ask, when he says all men, does he mean every individual in the world? Yes. When he says all men, does he mean every person who has ever existed 
Yes, he means that death spread to all men. Death was in every single person after Adam's first sin. We know he means that from other passages of Scripture, such as Romans 1, 18 to 2, 16. We know he means that from Romans chapter 3, 9 to 18. And we also know it because of the contrast he is about to make here in Romans chapter 5, where either all in Adam and under the sentence of condemnation, unless we're in Christ. Then once we're in Christ, we are justified. We receive this grace. We are in Christ. So he, we know he means all men, meaning every individual in verse 12, based on context, context of this letter. Well, he also says, because all sin. Because all sinned. Now, when he says because all sin, does he mean because all sinned practically in the same way that Adam sinned? Is he talking about our actual and practical sins, day by day sins? Is he talking about the fact or, or the possibility that God presents a test in a beautiful, lush, abundant garden for all of us at age five or age 10 or age 20? Is he saying it that way? Because all sin, because we all sin just like Adam sinned? Does he mean that way? Does he mean that we are all created innocent and perfect and sinless? Does he mean because all sinned in those ways? No, because he's clarifying in verses 13 to 14 and throughout the rest of this chapter, he's not talking about that kind of thing. He's not talking about personal, actual, practical sin, our day-to-day sins. He's not talking about that. This context is a context of original sin, inherited sin. Therefore, if it will help you in your mind to understand what he means by this last phrase, because all sinned, he means because all sinned in Adam's first sin. Because all sinned in Adam's first sin. That's what he means, because all sinned. Once we hear that, we might object. Well, that's unfair. That's unfair. That's not right. Why are we guilty? Why are we suffering because of Adam's sin? And some do say that. Well, their objection assumes that if they were in the Garden of Eden, they would have done better than Adam and Eve. And once the person says something like that, and the implication is that they would have done better than Adam and Eve, it shows the pervasiveness of their uh, depravity and pride. There's no way. We're all alike. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. We would have done the same as Adam and Eve in the garden. So when we, we see because all sinned, we must accept this biblical truth, that this is, in fact, the way it happened. 
Then in 13 and 14, the apostle seeks to buttress or to prove his case. In verses 13 to 14. And what he says is indisputable. For example, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. Until the law, sin was in the world. Is this true or not? Was sin in the world before the law came? And when he says the law, he means the law of Moses, the written law of Moses, the books of Genesis to Deuteronomy. He mentions Moses in verse 14. Before the law of Moses, which means before Exodus chapter 19, before the written law of Moses delivered to Moses on Sinai and then from Sinai to the people of Israel, before that incident occurred, before that date in history, to give a round number, let's say 1500 B.C., to give a round number, 1500 B.C., before 1500 B.C., from 4000 B.C. to 1500 B.C., we have Genesis chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 18. Just think in your mind about all of the incidents, all of the events, all of the accounts recorded from Genesis 1 to Exodus 18, which would be roughly from about 4,000 B.C. to 1,500 B.C. Was sin in the world? Can anyone dispute that fact? No. We know Adam and Eve sinned and they were expelled from the garden. We know Cain murdered Abel, right? We know that death occurred to Adam's posterity, Genesis chapter 5. We know that the earth became so corrupt in Genesis 6 to 9 that God destroyed the whole world because of their wickedness and violence. He destroyed them except eight of them, right? We know in the Genesis 11, that in the Tower of Babel account, that they were sinning, puffed up with pride, thinking they were invincible, that God had to scatter them so that they abandoned their project of their temple tower. We know what happened in the rest of the book of Genesis, even in the book of Exodus. The most obvious example in the early chapters of Exodus, the rebellion and the, the torture of Pharaoh. Rebellion against God, Pharaoh's rebellion against God and his torturing of the people of Israel as slaves. Correct? And he was punished for that and his nation was punished for all that. So there was plenty of sin. That's indisputable. But then if there was sin in the world, there was also death in the world, which all of these examples are plenty of examples of death in the world. But verse 13, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Sin is not imputed. That means it's not reckoned. It's not credited to anyone when there is no law. What does he mean? The law of Moses in written form was delivered in the period of Moses, in the life of Moses, right? Lifetime of Moses. But why was sin imputed in the world so that many people died between Genesis to Exodus 19? Genesis chapters 3 to Exodus chapter 18. Why was sin in the world and the consequence of sin, death in the world, 
when there was no law. He is asserting the fact that even though there wasn't a written law, there was a law. And what would we call that law? Natural law. We would call it the law written in the heart, which he explained already in Romans 2, 14 to 16. The law written in the heart, the law in the conscience of every individual. Everyone knows that he is a sinner, that he must follow God, the true God, and must live a godly life. They know that, and they know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, righteousness and wickedness. If they never have access to the written word of God, they still know that, and they act sometimes in accordance with what's in their conscience, and sometimes contrary to it. But the fact is, sin is there, it is imputed without the written law, but because of the unwritten law in the heart that God has put in our conscience. So that existed. And he clarifies even more. Verse 14, though the written law was there, he says, 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. Right? Death reigned. Abel was murdered. The the, the descendants, the patriarchs of Genesis 5, Most of them, the one exception is Enoch. They they all died. um, And also Noah eventually died in Genesis 9. When Sodom and Gomorrah was unrepentant in their sins, they died instantly, Genesis 19, correct? And many other examples of death reigning from Adam until Moses. It happened. Further, verse 14 This also happened, this death happened even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's offense. Earlier we said, all of us are not presented into the world as a five or 10 or 20 year old placed into an abundant, lush, perfect garden and presented with a test, correct? We all don't have the same experience of Adam's offense. We don't have that. We don't have that opportunity. God has not given that to us. But then why do we die? We die because of Adam. He was, as an individual, he was presented with that opportunity or that test or that covenant. He was not us. Yet... There's sin and there is death. There's sin and there's death. 14. Who is Adam? Who is, the who of who is, is Adam. Who is a type of him who was to come? Adam is, in the Bible, he is a type. The Bible's word type means example illustration, shadow, some kind of a picture. Adam is presented as a picture of Christ who was to come. He is presented that way because he is there in anticipation, in expectation. In some ways, Adam reflects Christ 
in righteousness. And in other ways, he's the complete opposite in terms of the picture. What do I mean by that? Um, Adam was created sinlessly and perfectly from the ground, right? When he was first created on the sixth day of creation, he had no sin. When Christ was created or born in the world, born of Mary, the virgin, he also had no sin. He was sinless. Adam is the head of all humans, right? He's the progenitor or the head of all humans. Adam is. Christ is our head in terms of our spiritual union with God or the spiritual family of God. He is our head and we are his body. We proceed from him, spiritually speaking, just as everyone physically and spiritually in sin proceed from Adam. These are just a couple of examples of Adam being innocent and sinless initially, but he failed the test. Jesus was also born into the world sinlessly and innocently, perfectly, but he never sinned. Jesus accomplished what Adam did not accomplish, could not accomplish, just as we could not accomplish it. Christ takes up what Adam lost. Christ finds what Adam lost. This is the contrast in the scripture. Now, this is not just the only place where Christ or an individual of the Old Testament or an incident of the Old Testament is a picture of the coming work of Christ. This is only one example of it. There are many, many of these in scripture. When we read the Old Testament, we cannot and should not ever read the Old Testament devoid of Christ. We must ask, well, if this festival was instituted, why? And what is its relationship to the person and work of Christ? If the animal sacrifice was instituted, why? And what is, is its relationship to the person and work of Christ? If Adam is presented, what is Adam's relationship to the person and work of Christ? Joseph, Joseph in the book of Genesis 37 to 50, when he is presented, his life, how is his life there as an example or a precursor of the person and work of Christ? And we can go on and on. This is what I mean by the scriptures saying the Old Testament is about Christ either directly or indirectly. The indirect example would be a type or illustration such as Adam. We should always read the Old Testament like that. Always in relationship to the person and work of Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.